0: going to be reading from Psalm 119. Um, Over the rest of the month, actually not quite, the next three weeks we're going to be spending our time in the book of Psalms as a way of always getting, we've been preaching New Testament so it's good to preach from the Old Testament and the Psalms are kind of an easy place to jump in because more or less each Psalm is its own little unit uh, and today we're going to be reading from the longest chapter in the Bible, um, Psalm 119, obviously the longest Psalm, the longest chapter, it's 176 verses. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, though I would encourage you, in one sitting this week, sit down and read all of Psalm 119 if you've never done that, It'll take you about 10 or 15 minutes or so, if you read it out loud, about 20. Uh, but it's basically a, a love poem or a, like a praise poem from the psalmist toward God thanking him for the Bible. Thanking him for up until whenever this psalm was written, what was written in the Old Testament. Particularly the psalmist is thanking God for the first five books of the Bible, what's called the law, where God reveals how he created the world, how he brought his people through Abraham, how he redeemed them from slavery in Egypt in the Exodus with Moses, and how he established them in their own land with their own law. It's a praise book about rules and statutes, um, but it's much more than that because it's praising God for the for he's the one that made the rules and it reflects who he is. And so the Psalmist has been studying this Bible. He's been uh, up until then, he's been studying the law. He's getting really stoked on it. And then he pens Psalm 119. Um, and Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem actually. And the Psalmist takes one, the, one letter from the Hebrew alphabet and writes like a little poem, that be, and every poem begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, um, you know, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, every, if you read it in the Hebrew, every, I don't do Hebrew, Scott, do you do Hebrew? Scott knows, so ask Scott about it. Um, every, every stanza begins with that first, the letter, the first word begins with that letter. So, there you go. That's kind of the poetry and um, the way it works. But basically, it's just this overflow of praise because of the law of the Lord. Today, what I wanted to do, though, is to begin our year, to give us a foundation for 2021, I wanted to just read the first eight verses, which kind of set up the whole Psalm 119. They give kind of the theme, they give the, the heart, the, the, the kind of the way it works, and it will give us an opportunity to reflect on what will make a great 2021. So let's read Psalm 119 together. Well, I'll read it. You can listen. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we pray and ask that you may bless the preaching of your word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the new year clocked over um, and the world didn't instantly become a perfect place again, um, unfortunately dates and calendars can't do that, um, I was beginning to think, like, what will make for a great 2021? Like, how can we ensure, everyone wants to live a good life, right? Everyone wants to enjoy life. Everyone wants a good 2021. That's why everyone's Facebook page is like, come on, bring it on. But what will make for a great 2021? Uh, my wife, Maddie, and I sat down and we did some, well, she did some New Year's resolutions. I didn't really have faith for it. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, knowing me, I, I don't know if I'm going to do them or not. Uh, but for some of us, we think if I just change everything about myself from midnight (laughs) on the 31st to the 1st of January, then I will actually have a good year this year. Uh, We make resolutions about what we might do with our health or our eating or our entertainment or our Bible reading, our prayer at work, relationships, those type of things. Perhaps uh, uh, we can have a great 2021 if we just get back to normal. If we just, you know, get the vaccine rolled out, remove all the restrictions, take the masks off, get rid of social distancing, maybe that'll make for a great 2021. Or perhaps, you know, all those things don't matter so much to you, but there's just something that you really, really want need. You know, those things that you don't need, but you really want so much that they become a need. Perhaps it's a relationship or the ability to have children in 2021. Or it's some kind of purchase, some kind of health. Or perhaps for you, you know, you're not entirely aligning yourself with the will of God as you begin. And what you're thinking will make for a great 2021 is some sin, some good old-fashioned rule-breaking, throwing off the restraint. You were too disciplined in 2020. You're sick of trying to live for God, and you want to just start living for yourself again. You're ready to give up. You want to indulge in some lust or some uh, gossip, some plain old selfishness. You don't want to serve anymore. It's hard. It's hard. 2021, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to give myself to people. I'm not going to be generous. I'm just going to serve myself this year. That's what I'll need to have a great 2021. Well, as I was preparing this message and I'd already chosen this psalm, but as I came to preparing it during the week, I was thinking, ah, should I preach it or not? Like what, you know, why did I choose this one? And why just these eight verses? And, but as I started to read through, um, the, the word of God started to refresh my soul. And I started to have hope for 2021, because as I read and as I studied this psalm, I was reminded and refreshed of the reality of how we achieve true blessing, how we can experience real life in 2021. I was refreshed because this psalm actually guarantees all of us, in a sense, the possibility of a great 2021. 2021. Because this psalm teaches this one fundamental truth, this one fundamental reality. True blessing comes from knowing and obeying God's word. If we want to have a great 2021, we can't guarantee our resolutions and disciplines, our circumstances, our normalcy. We can't know we'll get what we want. But the psalmist here is teaching us that true blessing is attainable for those who know and obey the word of God. And so two simple points for us today. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at point number 1, which is reality. And verses 5 through 8, point number 2, response. So point 1, reality. Point 2, response. And a title if you want it, real life. Point number one, reality. You know, as you know, you're on holidays and um, you're out of discipline and even when you go back into the thick of things, I feel like in our world there's so much crying out for our attention, our fix, our gaze, our time, our effort, our energies, our wallet. And all these things come with so much promise, don't they? If you just do this, then, oh, that'll be great. If you just have this, then you, yeah, you'll be satisfied. If you just get on top of this, then you'll be successful. If you just work hard enough, then all things will work out. Or they come with a threat. If you don't do this, your life will be ruined. If you don't have this, you'll be unsatisfied. If you don't work hard, then you will not succeed, and then you will not get what you want. There's so many things that demand our attention, and and they have... Promises of reward and threat, of loss and consequence. But God's word cuts through all of those things and provides us with reality. Reality. Rock, solid, time-tested, unshakable and proven reality. That's the blessing of knowing and having God's word in front of us. It is and reveals reality. No matter what anyone says, what book or article or TikTok video, I don't know why I put that in. I don't even know what they are. (laughs) Or even what a preacher says. Friends, as we begin this year, I want you to know this. God's word alone is our only access to infallible reality, unbreakable reality. Reality that cannot be disproved or contradicted, though many try. And in verses 1 through 4, the psalmist pulls back the curtain on the reality of what a blessed life truly looks like. In verses 1 through 4, the psalmist is like, he's gathering us and saying, this is what reality is. This is how you can have a real life. So what is it? Let's read again, verses just one through three. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. The psalmist here begins this epic poem of passionate devotion to Scripture By appealing to our base desire as humans, which is actually given to us by God, the desire to be blessed, the desire to be supremely happy, the desire to have a full and joyful and wondrous life. That's not against God, that's actually designed by God. We are designed to enjoy. We are designed to love. We are designed to experience fullness of satisfaction and supreme happiness. And that's exactly what the word blessed means. It means supremely happy. It means favored. It means looked upon with approval from on high. And the psalmist pulls back the curtain and reveals and it's like he's trying to paint this picture of this is what a blessed person looks like. This is how you become blessed. Look, look at them. Here they are, that person. They're blessed because... And he goes on to define what it is. But how do we normally define a blessed person? When you're in conversations and you're... Someone reports on something that they've just purchased or experienced or some friend has you know, received something or um, something's happened with kids or education and, and we often say, oh man, they're so blessed. But often, and it's not wrong to say that, I'm not (laughs) not beginning you with a smackdown, but often we tie that word blessing to material or circumstantial progressing or advancement or some kind of comfort or satisfaction. Well, let's note here how the psalmist reveals the reality of what true blessing is. Let's read again so that we can see it again what he defines a blessing as. Blessed, supremely happy, fortunate, are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways." In these three verses, the psalmist reveals that the truly blessed person is a blameless person, a person who lives righteously, who not only abstains from all sin, but also walks out positively all the law of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they're completely perfect, only Jesus is that, but it's the type of person where accusations of sin don't stick because they have an integrous life the type of person that isn't planning sin, isn't deliberately sinning, isn't constantly repeatedly finding themselves in areas where they're choosing to sin willfully. The blameless person is one who delights to be righteous, who yearns and longs for righteousness as their character of life. It's the type of person that walks in the law of the Lord. That means their pattern of life is conformed to God's ways. Their pattern of life is conformed to God's ways. And in verse 2, the truly blessed person is the one who keeps his testimonies. That is, is the type of man or woman who studies the Bible, who knows the word, who memorizes the word and treasures it, keeps it stores it up, protects it, like precious jewellery, like the pin code to your bank account, keeps it, protects it, lets no one know what it is or where it is in that sense because it's so precious. The truly blessed person is the one who, verse 2, look at that, seeks God with their whole heart. Don't be mistaken, the Blessing arises not just from outward conformity or external behavior, but internal attitude of our very own heart. The type of person that is supremely happy is the type of person that seeks the Lord God with their whole heart an undivided heart, a heart that isn't always, you know, trading in God for comfort or God for approval or God for whatever your particular idol is. The really supremely happy person has an undivided heart. Verse three, finally, the truly blessed person is on a journey in life, so to speak, walking in God's ways. And as they walk, they plod along but they plod along with God in their presence. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, he who walks in God's law, walks in God's company. So you can see the reality here that the psalmist is trying to point out to us. This is what true blessing is. You want a great 2021? Be like that but doesn't it go against our natural inclination and intuition? You know, it's not normal for us to define a really blessed person as a law-keeping person, someone who plays it by the book, someone who lives their whole life trying to abstain from worldly sins and pleasures and passions and live holy and devoted to God. Law-keeping sounds boring. Holiness isn't exactly riveting. And all the movie trailers and advertisements would teach us that reality. Even, you know, the great heroes of action films like Bond and Batman and all that, they don't live, <laughs> they're not blessed and they're not epic because they obey the law. It's because they do some good things while at the same time having plenty of fun on the side. John Calvin, the Swiss-French reformer, said in this kind of archaic language. He said it in French, it's translated English, old English. The father a man wanders from God, the happier he imagine himself to be. Isn't that true? The, the, the Psalmist is saying blessed is the man who walks in the law of the Lord. But when we imagine blessing, we, we often think, wow, it's not gonna come from like being really devoted and really obedient and really strict as a Christian. Sometimes we're deceived into thinking it's from walking a little bit further away. Yet this is why this psalm is such a blessing to us because it reorients our natural intuition. It gives us the reality of what a truly blessed life is like. And it's found by knowing and obeying God's word. Why is this the case though? Why, is, like, why does the psalmist you know, think that walking according to God's ways is really like that good? You know, he could have said, blessed is the man who's rich and prosperous and enjoys God and also has all that he wants. He could have said all those things, and they're not necessarily untrue. But when he reflects on the, the supremest of all blessings... It's the type of person who walks in God's ways, whose heart is devoted and undivided, who does no wrong. Well, let's read verse 4. Why is this the case? Why is this a blessing? Well, he's he's speaking now to God, and in verse 4 he says, You, that is God, have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. You see, these laws and precepts are God's, laws. They're God's precepts. They're God's statutes. They're God's rules. It's not some blank moral code that was received out of nowhere. They're not axiomatic principles passed down from one guru to the next, or made up by a man, or derived from logic. The law of the Lord is a personal word from the God of the universe to his beloved children. They delivered to Moses on a mountain to show them how to live a truly blessed life. God didn't give the law to the Israelites as they went from Egypt into Canaan in order to make their lives boring, in order to ruin their life. It's not like they were having a great time in Egypt and they were about to get into Canaan and go, whoa, 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 too much blessing. There's milk and honey, there's free houses and farms and fields and you don't have to build it all. I'm going to make sure It's tedious. I'm going to make sure it's annoying and frustrating as you go into God's promised land. No, when God gave his law to his people, and when the New Testament affirms that law and gives us further instruction and command, they're not intended to dampen our joy, our fun, or our freedom. Instead, the law is given to secure it. The law of the Lord is not intended to dampen our fun, our freedom, or our joy, but instead to secure it. See, God is not an angry, demanding, and harsh teacher. If you think of him that way, you haven't read your Bible right. But he's a gracious, joyful, and loving heavenly father. And so he gives a law, it's not an easy law, but he gives a law to show his people how to truly access life. God's word is a pathway to real life. It shows us the way humans were designed to live, the way we were designed to enjoy the world that he made. It's an instruction manual to fully maximize our joy. And so he expects us to do it. He expects us to keep it diligently because in doing it, we receive the blessing. Spurgeon says it like this, capturing some of the the reality that our natural intuition is the law. But he says, rough may be the way, stern the rule, hard the discipline. All these we know and more But a thousand heaped up blessednesses are still found in godly living. Not sure that's a word. But a thousand heaped up blessednesses are still found in godly living. Our natural instinct is to react to rules and regulation and it seems like limitation. But in following the path of the law and in knowing and obeying God's word, a thousand heaped up, like when you go to Messina and they just, they put the gelato on and then they put it on again and then they pack it down into your cup and then they put more on. That's the kind of blessing that God wants for us, not this scanty little scoop and just a dollop in and you're like, there's so much room left in that cup. That's, that's, I didn't pay for that. God wants to bless us packed down, thousand heaped up. Mr. Spurgeon also says, holiness is Happiness. So to summarise verses 1 through 4, I think the, the, the psalmist is launching this 176 verse thing to show God's people that true blessing comes from knowing and obeying God's word. This is reality. This is real life. This is blessing. So that was point number one, reality. Point number two, response. What then is our appropriate response? What what is the psalmist's appropriate response and how can we model after him? Well, the reality is, like Mr. Spurgeon said, following God's way is hard because our sinful nature opposes us along the way. Our sinful world reinforces that negative image And the Satan, the deceiver, lies to us about the reality. Did God really say? He whispers in our ear when we decide we're going to read or pray or obey or abstain. Our natural inclination is like, I'm not good enough. I'm not a blameless person. It's too hard and I'm not even sure I want to do it. I've recently been reading a book called A Company of Heroes, and it's about 18 stories of modern-day missionaries um, all over the world. We read it as a core team. I'll actually buy some for the church and encourage you to read it. It is really inspiring and incredibly challenging. And as I was reading these stories of man after man, woman after woman, family after family, who just are sacrificing all that they have for the sake of not allowing people go over the edge of eternity into hell... And the sacrifice, the lack of comfort, the persecutions, the jails, the the pain. I was thinking, oh Lord, please, not me. (laughs) You know, like I'm looking at that going, Oh, that doesn't look like blessing. (laughs) I don't bless them, Lord. (laughs) Send them, Lord. (laughs) But in my heart of hearts, I'm not thinking, oh, that's that's what I want. Because I want God. And comfort. (laughs) I want God and security, God and prosperity. And if I had to choose between one or the other, my natural inclination is like, oh, yeah. And I think the psalmist himself feels that tension. Let's look at verse five again. Look at his prayer. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. In response to this general truth that, you know, being a blameless person leads to blessing, he cries out with a prayer for mercy and help. He knows that within and of himself, he is not a perfectly blameless man. He is not a truly blessed person. And so he cries out that his ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He sees within himself such inconsistency, not steadfastness. He sees lack, not plenty in his walk. And he knows he is not blameless. Isn't that true for each one of us? You know, you might have been thinking as I was reading verses 1 to 4, I was like, whoa, I'm a long way from blessing. Uh, And I feel you, I'm there too. We think, I'm I'm ruined. (laughs) This doesn't describe me at all. I'm such a failure. I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm a ruin. But this is the starting point. This is exactly where we begin our journey of true blessing. A cry of desperation and a plea for grace. God, help me. I want blessing, but I can't do it on my own. I want supreme happiness. I want to walk in your ways, but my ways are not steadfast. Would you help me, O Lord? The Christian religion is not one of just try harder, son. Uh, You know, get it together. Just stop sinning and be righteous. That's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist knows our frame and our condition. And so he invites us to pray with him this prayer. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Do you feel weak, my friends? Do you feel like a failure? Do you feel inconsistent? Do you feel inadequate in your walk, in the keeping of his statutes, in a divided heart? Pray this prayer. Make this your plea and your desperate call and seek that blessing. And here's part of the benefit of living like this. Look at verse six. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. The result of crying out to God, changing our life and living a blameless life, following and knowing God's word and obeying it is that we will not be put to shame. It's a blessed feeling, isn't it? times when you don't need to walk around with the heavy millstones of crushing words that you said to someone else, when we don't walk around with that shame knowing that actually you're just full of lust, when we can walk around without the shame of knowing there's jealous hatred in your heart, envy, envy. But instead, as we pant after God's word and we conform to his ways and we follow in his statutes and bit by bit our our whole course of life is conformed to his will, there is a sense in which you can become more and more blameless. And you can walk around with less and less shame knowing that God has dominated your thoughts and your minds and, and you're so caught up in doing good you don't have time for evil. It's one of the blessings of, that God promises his children. Mr. Spurgeon says, A man may have a thousand virtues, and yet a single failing may cover him with shame. Have you ever experienced that? You feel like you're on track, you're, you're genuinely loving the Lord and you're enjoying walking in his ways and then you do something. And then you just think, I am the worst sinner on earth. And then you look at people and they ask, oh, how are you? And you're like, well, 99, things, fine. But there's this one thing I did and it just is eating me up from the inside. I can't believe I did that. When we walk in his ways and increasingly grow in holiness we more and more get to the place where there is a consistency of our life and integrity, where we don't experience that shame. However, however, because of our forefather and foremother, not sure that's a word either, um, because of Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden, when they first took the fruit in disobedience to the father and they decided to strike out on finding real life apart from God, what was their first Reaction, nakedness, and shame, and we are born into that reality. We are born into a, a feeling of shame that clouds over every soul and every life and every um, every human being. This feeling that we don't quite measure up, and that is the reality. And no one of us can perfectly or absolutely walk around with no shame, either internally or publicly. And then how wonderful is the good news of the gospel that we're saying of today. How good is the news of Jesus Christ? How good is it that even if you don't live a blameless life, and even if you don't get it all together and walk perfectly in his ways, if you have put your trust in that one, in the one who walked without shame, in the one who walked in the law of the Lord all his days, who did no wrong, who kept his heart focused on all his precepts, who sought God with all of his heart. If you believe on him and trust in him, then the legal case for shame against you is evaporated. Nothing can stick. As we sang in Man of Sorrows, my my debt is paid... What's the lyric? Someone... Is paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilled. I should have, yeah, you know it. Two Corinthians five twenty one expresses this reality. Drink this in as good news, friends. For our sake, He that is God made Him that is Christ to become sin, to become, in a sense, shame, to become lawlessness, to become broken commandments, to become the very ruinous person that you are and I am, so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is that we might become once for all blameless and therefore supremely blessed. One of the benefits of trusting in Christ is that you receive that as soon as you come to Christ. Shame is, in the legal courtroom of God, evaporated. And so if you aren't yet a Christian, if you aren't yet a follower of God, you need to become one today. (laughs) I invite you, become a Christian. Trust in Jesus Christ because you aren't blameless before a holy God. And if you stand before him, he will judge you according to his law you'll be condemned, you will not receive pardon, and you will be punished for your sin. But if you trust in the Saviour, you can be without shame. You can become blameless before God today. And as we go about living in the good of that once-for-all gospel moment, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live and aim to live in such a way that is blameless and therefore don't incur other elements of shame. So, Eternally, we have no shame, but there are, there is a dynamic sense in which we shame ourselves through our public sin and experience shame internally, even as a Christian. Yet we always come back to the reality of the gospel when we feel and experience that, knowing that it doesn't stick forever. And so the psalmist continues in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. You see, as the psalmist thinks about studying and and then living out and obeying God's law, he's preparing himself to walk in praise. How much easier it is to see the goodness and greatness of God when you're studying his word and when you're seeing his goodness and then you're living it out. It's much easier to praise him, is it not? And that's that reality that the psalmist is expressing in verse 7. Spurgeon says, From prayer to praise is never a long or difficult journey. Be sure that he who prays for holiness will one day praise for happiness. And that's the reality that the psalmist is finding there. And it ought to be that as we read the word and study it, it should fuel our praise and our worship. And then as we live it, it fuels it even more. And finally, verse 8. The psalmist says, sort of like a plea. So he began with, oh, that my ways may be steadfast. Now he ends this little section with with a declaration to the Lord, with a a commitment of his ways that he would direct his heart. He says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. It ends in calm resolve. He surveyed the law. He surveyed what true blessing is. He knows it's not fully within him. He knows that he wants to live without shame. He knows he wants this blessing. And so he commits himself. He makes a resolution, a New Year's resolution, if you like. He promises himself a great 2021 because he commits to the Lord. I will keep your statutes. It's like every day when we wake up, we ought to. We ought to be reminding ourselves today I live for Christ and Him alone. Today I bend the knee and I'm a servant of the great King. I will keep your statutes. But we don't do it on our own. And that's what those last words reflect. The psalmist is pleading with God, but please do not utterly forsake me. Do not leave me to do it on my own. Do not abandon me as I seek you. Do not cast me off because of my sin. Be near to me. Be close to me. And so the Christian never walks out in our own strength. The Christian never presumes upon God's grace. The follower of God is aware that at every step of blameless living is God's mercy and grace that got us there. Again, you can tell who I read most this week. Mr. Spurgeon says, he presents his resolutions like a sacrifice, but he cries to heaven for the fire. That's how it works, friends. I will follow you, Lord, but you're waiting and needing and totally dependent on God to bring the fire to burn up your resolution of sacrifice. That's the dynamic. That's how it works. So, the psalmist knows the reality that true blessing comes from conformity to God's ways. And he responds with a desperate pleading for that to become his reality. Because true blessing comes from knowing and obeying God's word. But implicit behind all of this is an assumption. An assumed reality within the text. And the assumption is that we actually know God's word that we actually know God's laws. The assumption is, is that we actually know the testimonies so that we can keep them. And so the psalm, and the way I want to end today is by encouraging you that the only way you can experience this blessing is if you yourself are a diligent student of God's word. If God's word is in your mouth, in your mind, on your heart, on your lips. You can't know, you can't obey God's law if you don't know them. And friends, don't be deceived into thinking, well, I read the Bible a lot last year, so therefore 2021, I saved it all up in 2020 and I'm free this year. Our heart is so prone to wonder how quick we are to forget God's ways and how constant we are in need of refreshing and renewing our mind, as Romans 12 says. John Goldingay, in his commentary on the psalm, says it like this. Another aspect of the dynamic of obedience is that as well as action and an attitude of the heart, it requires attention to learning. Therefore, friends, make 21 great by studying, memorising, revising and knowing all of God's Word. We're kidding ourselves if we think we can have a great 2021 as defined by the Bible, as defined by true reality. If we haven't got front and center in our schedules a devotion to studying the Bible, to knowing the Word, to carrying it around with us in our various places of work, or in our parenting, or in our dating, or in our internet searching, or whatever we do as we're watching entertainment, if we don't have a devotion to His Word, we will not know it, we will not obey it, and we will not be blessed. So don't kid yourselves. If you want to have a 2021, that's great. Don't lie to yourself and think just a little, like, a little snack of God's word will be enough every day. It won't. (laughs) It doesn't work. It's not a rule, it's just a reality. You don't have to read your Bible every day. There's no verse that says it. They didn't even have a Bible, they had scrolls, they were kept elsewhere. They had to memorize it and know it, and you want it because you want that blessing. There are no shortcuts. There are no tricks or hacks. It's just plain old discipline and hard work. But as we study, we come to know. As we come to know, our hearts come to be convinced. As our hearts are convinced, we begin to act. And as we act, we are blessed. For we will be blessed not only in the hearing of the word, but in the doing. And so, friends, how are you going to be the type of man or woman who has a great 2021? How are you going to schedule and prioritise blessedness in your day? If you want the blessing, you have to position yourself for it. And so perhaps you can talk about it over coffee or um, as we go out to lunch today, what's your plan? Ask a friend for being blessed this year and see what they say. If you want a great 2021, then know and obey the law of the Lord. Do it by His grace. Do it for your joy and for His glory. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of that word. That you would create in me and my friends a clean heart. Would you renew our minds? Would you reorient our our hopes and ambitions and goals for 2021. And no matter what circumstances you bring us, Lord, we are thankful that we can have a great 2021 because we know reality, that if we obey you and walk in your ways by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the reality that we've been bought from our sin and into new life in Christ, we will have a great 2021. So we ask, Lord, that you would bless us us. And make us men and women and children who know and walk in your ways, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen.